Hi there, I'm Nikki Saunders and you're listening to the Parenting Playbook podcast. Hi and welcome to today's episode. Today I'll be speaking with Sal Wigginton, a therapist who specialises in working with bereaved children. Sal has also created an amazing community interest company called Hidden Forest, which supports people therapeutically by utilising our beautiful surroundings with forest schools. Sal is also a gay woman and has joined me in supporting LGBTQ Plus Month, where she shares the challenges that she faced as a young woman in the 90s to today and the fears that her parents had when they learned of her sexuality at a time when being gay was frowned upon. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi and welcome Sal to the Parenting Playbook podcast. Hi Nikki, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's it's lovely to have you here. So can you tell me a little bit about your experience in childhood and, you know, things like when did you realise that, that maybe you were different to other people? I mean, if you don't mind me asking, because this is a big question, when were you born? Because I'm just trying to think <laughs> about the era. So I was born in 79, very late in 79, 31st December. Um, so most of my education was actually uh whilst we had section 28 in place that margaret thatcher kindly put in place for us and what's um, that so section 28 prohibited educators well prohibited everybody really i think um from promoting being gay okay. um it was homophobic through and through its origin came from basically 50 people in a constituency complaining about a book that had been released and was in a local library i think it was done in london and yeah, the, there became a movement towards non-promotion of homosexuality. So what it meant in schools from 1988-2003, that it just couldn't be talked about. So it, it was, it was a, it, you know, it was a closed subject. The end, there was just no discussion around it. So if something did happen, I mean, I, I went to a girls' school and something did happen in my school, not with me, I might add. Um, it was interesting when I reflect back on the way that the teachers actually dealt with it, that it was almost dismissed and just stated, we don't tolerate it. We're moving on. That's it. Okay. You know, there was there was no discussion around it. So there was no opportunity for anyone to have any kind of exploration into their sexuality. But for me, I, I realised when I, I think I was about six and I remember at the time, well, I say six, this is, I mean, that's my memory, but. Um, I remember that Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit had been released on the TV as a drama, which would have been at, around that time, you know, 86 into late 80s. And it was a Jeanette Winterson story. And of course, it was about two gay young women. And I can remember watching it on the television. And I didn't, I, you know, I didn't understand it. I didn't. Um, but I can remember looking at it and thinking, oh, that's like me. And I don't know why. I don't know where it got got it from but I thought oh, that's like me and of course the amusing thing was that I was allowed to watch that but I wasn't actually allowed to watch Pretty Woman which came out not too late not too much later than that um which obviously had some straight sex scenes in it or in you know things that related to to being heterosexually you know active I suppose um so so yeah so I think for me it was quite clear that that's that's what I was, but I couldn't I couldn't name it. I couldn't 
I couldn't give it a name as, you know, I'm, I'm gay or, you know, even I wouldn't be able to know at the time that someone was straight. You know, I didn't I didn't know what it was. But there was definitely something there that I recognised was different. Yeah, because you were saying when we spoke earlier about you, uh, conversely, you would watch EastEnders, for example, mm. and you sort of knew that you were not that married couple. You sort yeah, of were able yeah. to identify that. Yeah, I could I could watch things. Yeah, because at the time, I mean, everybody watched in the eighties, didn't they? Blooming Crossroads, Emmerdale, you know, all those sorts of things. And of course, EastEnders and EastEnders ran the first gay uh, male gay storyline out of the soaps. Um, I can't remember his real name. His name was Mark, and it wasn't it. And it was an HIV storyline. And mm. I remember that really, really well. That's the thing I remember. And that's the thing that I connected to, even though, again, at that age, I had no idea what HIV was or, or the reality of HIV. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I could see in society that I didn't quite fit in the way that I could see others fitting. OK, so when when can you when you look back, when could you identify with that? Where, at what point did you go? Ah. Oh. Um, I think. I think in my teens I knew, mm. but I think that um, it was easy. Well, I don't know that it was easier. It wasn't easier. That's the wrong word. In my teens I knew, but I didn't feel able to act on it. And uh, my school was strict. Obviously, Section 28 was in place. Um, I could feel a sense that my parents wouldn't like it. Um, I didn't know anyone that was gay I didn't you know I didn't I didn't know anybody I might have seen the odd person on television um but there, there wasn't equally a a negative narrative there wasn't a homophobic narrative at home either so I think probably it really was by the time I was 16 I was quite sure that I was gay but I just didn't feel I felt really I suppose I felt quite oppressed by society that nobody else was really out it wasn't like it is now um, you know, queerness being LGBTQ wasn't particularly visible. It, mm. it certainly couldn't be visible in school because it, well, it, it wasn't visible. I suppose you could have walked around with a gay flag around you, but no one would have commented. You know, it it was it was different, wasn't it? But would um, anybody even know what a gay flag looked like? Well, uh, well, and that's it, isn't it? And, yeah. it? and who's to say? I really, it's very hard to remember those small elements mm. of, of what that probably would have been like. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think that I felt I lived in a society that was particularly accepting. Um, but like I say, I didn't equally come from a home where there was a negative narrative. Uh, my father's cousin was gay, and he ha he'd had a boyfriend. You know, I'd known him since I was a small child. So it wasn't like no one gay in the family, but there wasn't anyone gay my age, a female. Mm -hmm. Yeah. you know that was visible so I, th I think that made it quite a lot harder and I think there was at that age as well like I'm sure it still is the same and always has been the same there was a lot of pressure from other people particularly other people's parents or family you know have you got a boyfriend yet who mm. are you seeing all those sorts of things um and I think the more the people pushed and asked that the more I stepped away yeah the so, more I became less responsive so when you joined the dots and you were like oh so that's why I liked that program or I yeah. could relate to that is that the point that you shared your sexuality with your parents no no not at all what? I didn't 
I didn't tell my mum and dad until I was 27. Okay. Um, and I think like lots of people, I had, I had my own life. You know, you, you, you grow up, don't you? You go, depending on what your life is like, you go to school, go to college, you know, everyone then goes off to university or my friends did. And I went to work abroad and came back and just got on with my life and moved out and I, I wouldn't have said my life was secret, but I didn't live it in front of everybody else, I suppose. Um, and it carried on like that for a number of years. And, and I was quite, I wouldn't say reflecting back, I was happy. But at the time, I thought I was happy, if that makes sense. Mm. That it seemed happier than perhaps where I had been. And I only told my mum and dad because I'd actually sold my house and I was moving in. <laughs> Um, with my current partner who I've been with for nearly 18 years and they knew her and um, she was actually our decorator so obviously that was a little bit difficult um, but yeah it felt I mean it's very difficult and um, I've got friends that still haven't come out to their parents and they'll be in their 50s now Wow. Um, and have said you know I won't even tell my parents on their deathbed um, I have friends that have never told their parents and their parents have died. And I've equally got friends who have come out to their parents when they were 16 and were lying in hospital having their stomach pumped after trying to kill themselves because they were so unhappy. Yeah, so same. there seems to be this extreme. And, and I think, um, again, you know, everybody's situation and experience is different. Um I've seen a lot of negativity around it. And I think, you know, you might watch a programme now on Netflix or something. It looks like you have a big gay coming out party. Um, but actually, you don't come out just once. You know, you come out every day. Mm. And it, it is the constant. It's yes, there is the telling the family or, you know, whoever you need to tell in that moment. But, you know, the daily, you know, have you got a partner? Who do you live with? Are you having children? You know, um, are you married? You know, you start a new job. Are you married? Who's your partner? What do they do? It's So it's a constant and it's all those tiny things that lots of people don't think about that you've got to kind of either recorrect mm. or just ignore. You know, you're sorting out your pension. Can I have your partner's details? What's mm. his name? Her name? No, it's that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think the media can flower it up you know because obviously it was gay like a big party don't we and we're all really good fun but actually I think if you start looking at um a lot of stats around uh, LGBTQ community you know there are high levels of suicides um high levels of anxiety and depression yeah um self-harm yeah. and all for obvious reasons because actually uh I, I do some training for another organization and one of the things we we're talking about we're actually the only minority that are born in the enemy camp. Mm. So when you think about it, not so true today, because obviously, you know, two people, two same-sex people can have a child. But historically, certainly when I was younger, you know, it would be a man and a woman. And, you know, you're born straight into that enemy camp, aren't you? Yeah. As it were. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's something about, um, we all want to be part of a pack. And we want mm. to be a part of our own pack, so our nuclear family pack. Mm. And certainly historically, I think there are a lot of people that don't share with their parents in fear of being rejected from that pack. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's a massive issue. And 
Um, I mean, my mum and dad, they weren't happy. I'm not going to say they were, they weren't. And it is different now. I mean, my dad's no longer with us, but um, my mum has a different relationship with us. Uh, she's very close to my partner as well. And, you know, it's good, but that takes time. Yeah. And I've seen it with lots of my friends and I've seen it go completely the opposite way as well, where people don't see their parents. Um, and, you know, I suppose, again, for parents, I suppose it, it's being able to sit back and understand the experience of the other, isn't it? On all sides. Mm. And I was lucky enough recently as a therapist to sit in my clinical supervision group um, with three other therapists who all had gay children mm. and we were talking between us as therapists about coming out and of course I was the gay child if you like in that scenario and they were the three parents mm. with such different views and it was really interesting I've never actually had that experience to sit and talk so openly about it but you know we do have to reflect on the other's experience don't we and yeah. in the moment that's really really difficult and I think certainly my experience was that that, that none of us could really stand in the other's shoes if you like mm. but after time and it wasn't a long time there was more of an acceptance and things changed and I think you have to reach a point you know uh, where you accept that you know you are you and you will be who you will be you know I, I think you know there are plenty of people out there that uh, you know don't agree that people are born gay but um I think I was, and I would suggest I that lots of us are, I you know, mm. and it's the same with gender and um, it's not something I can change. I can pretend, I can pretend all day long. Yeah. Um, I won't be happy. And, and who does that serve? Um, I don't think it serves the community or me. You know, you said earlier about um, it was difficult, you know, for your parents, it was difficult. Yeah. Can you can you shed some light on why it was difficult? Why? Because as you say, I think many parents will come from different angles. Some people will just mm. say, "It's not difficult. They're my child. It's yeah. just it's that's okay." Um, yeah. But other people will find it really, really difficult. Why? Why do you think your parents found it difficult? Do you think it was the generation? Um, yeah, I think generationally it was different. You know, we're talking uh, nearly twenty years ago. Yeah. Um, I think their experience of LGBTQ was different to perhaps the parent living now. Yeah. Um, so potentially the parents of the children that are coming out now, the parents are going to be around my age. So, mm. you know, they will have seen Section 28, have an understanding of what Section 28 is and probably have a number of, if not just one, friends that identifies within the LGBTQ spectrum. Yeah. Um, I think for my parents, um, I think that my, I think my mum and dad took it very differently. Um, I think my mum, I think it scared her, if I'm honest. I genuinely think it scared her. You know, being different is scary. Being different puts you at risk. Mm. You know, and, and, you know, if you think back to that period of time, and I think it was early 2000, wasn't it, when we had the nail bombings and, and various other things happening. And also we actually... I lied when I said I didn't know anyone gay because there were two people in our family that were gay, but I didn't know him at the, this other one at the time. So my dad's, a relative of my dad's was murdered in the year 2000, coming out of a club called Heaven in London. And he was attacked and um, he was gay and they thought it was because of that anyway, that he obviously died. And so I think my mum had linked 
these very negative connotations to being gay. Mm. You know, she'd, she'd linked all sorts of things, you know, that I wasn't going to be successful and that's what she wanted. I wasn't going to get married and have a happy life. I wasn't going to walk the aisle and be married to this big hunky man that was going to look after me for the rest of my life. Um, I wasn't going to have children. I wasn't going to do all these things. But actually, those things were my choice anyway. So I may not have done any of those things. Mm. even if I was straight so is this is this a really classic example and this is parenting throughout I think we have these Mm. expectations of our children that Mm. one they're gonna they're gonna be born healthy and well and all of those things and then they're gonna go on and do all of these societal steps that we Mm. all should do and actually you know do do parents see their children as a reflection of them really of something as as some sort of attachment to them that you know if if their child isn't doesn't do all of those things and what's wonderful now is and I love this so many men and women are now saying yeah I'm not I'm not going to have children Mm. and I think that takes huge courage to be able to say I am not going to conform to this societal expectation of me because Mm. I actually want a different life and that has to be okay but I think as parents we have to get in the way of our ideals don't we of what what our expectations are of our children because the reality is the only person we have control over is ourselves absolutely we should not be influencing our children to be something that they're not in order to serve ourselves yeah and I I think that's the key thing that I think parents knowingly or not um can and do live vicariously through their children yeah I think mums are particularly good at it yeah and that isn't healthy for anybody but it's it's something that people do I suppose I think societally uh, you know, bringing the baby home, the baby showers, the blue and the pink, you know, we're set up for stereotypes, aren't we, through mm. and through, you know, the, the the aisles in the toy shop, the, the one for the boys, the one for the girls. It's it's all of those things. So I think the point that the child turns around and says, actually, you don't really know who I am. Mm. I can I can imagine, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I imagine that's really hard that you've mm. brought this little being into the world and then they are turning around and saying, well, you, you don't understand. You don't you don't know who I am. You know, mm. you, you don't understand where I'm coming from with this. Um, but I, my experience and my sense of it is that a lot of the, I suppose, the negative behaviour and the homophobic behaviour and, and also just the negativity perhaps from parents is, I think it's fear. I do think it's fear. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, yes, there are people out there that, um, have a narrative of hatred around um, you know the LGBTQ community and it's clear that that's there which is I think a whole different thing to deal with um, but there are community there are groups that hate all sorts of communities and all sorts yeah. of people for all sorts I was going to say that it, you you know, know. and ever more now that we're online like this um, I could sit and do a review of Heinz tomato soup and somebody else like bachelor, I don't know, likes bachelors or whatever they like and can start an argument with me and all of a sudden there are going to be people on both sides, aren't there? So those people are there and they're wasting the rings for any argument possible yeah. because that's that's what they like doing. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, education's better than it was. We mm. talk about stuff now. Um, As you, you know, said earlier, it's legal now. It's you know? legal. Yeah. yeah, you know, all those years of not being able to talk about it. 
but only in the 90s you know we're not we're not that many years away from um gay marriage gay sex being legalized yeah and 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 i think uh, i mean i've certainly read i i live in a near a town where um a gay couple got married in a, a local church and they were the first people to to do that it was several years ago and it was in a local newspaper and I started reading the comments and of course I couldn't stop reading the comments because they were so negative I couldn't believe what I was reading and of course it was the usual you know what what's going to happen next you'll be able to marry your dog why what mm. <laughs> what does it matter to the other person mm. you know why why does it genuinely matter mm. and and why do we feel or why does society feel that people that are let's be honest, white, straight and male, have a priori- priority over every other being. Mm. You know, why, why do we have that? Why, you know, why do we see straight marriage or why did we see straight as a society see straight marriage as, um, or heterosexual marriage as, as being, you know, have more validity than two women marrying or two men marrying? What, you know, why is that? And I think it is fear-based. Mm. I don't, you know, there are, I get, you know, there are people that are religious that, they don't agree fine there are religions i don't agree with i that's perfectly we're all entitled to our, we're views. Entitled to our opinion as long as we're respectful to the other exactly um but i think there's more education now and i think schools you know, i mean there's definitely more literature available in schools um i think you know we're very good now aren't we uh, at having national days you know and and months and they are helpful but they do open up conversations about things um i think visibility on television it's there we have more um queer films mm. uh, gay films trans films you know uh, there are characters within our you know national soaps mm. and you know they may not all be accurate or as accurate as some of us would like um but they are there mm. so they are visible and i think the visibility is such a key thing absolutely um, do you think because it's interesting that you said earlier that you moved abroad mm. um, and at this point your parents didn't know about your sexuality. Do you think if if you'd have felt able to share with them earlier, do you think things would have been different? Do you, do you feel that, because it sounds like from what you're saying that you, at some le- like level, you, you just wanted to live your life. But did, yeah. way, and you didn't you sort of you've alluded to it it wasn't really secret but it sort of was you know yeah. There was, yeah would you on reflection would you like to have felt able to share your sexuality with your parents when you were younger um it's a difficult one isn't it? that's a really difficult one um if things had all been different yes I mm. I suppose it would have been good that there'd have been um you know, open communication about it that I could have said how I felt. But I mean, that also takes into consideration the type of person that I am, maybe that I wouldn't have said, you know, made those feelings very clear. Mm. Um, there was a sense for me that I did just want to get on with my life. I didn't actually see it as being anyone else's business. And that that is the real crux of why I didn't tell anybody because I didn't see it. I didn't see how it was relevant, who I slept with. Why was that relevant to the next person? It just mm. wasn't. Because I certainly wasn't interested in who anyone else was sleeping. No, <laughs> it just it you know it, it didn't affect how I felt about them. It's like nobody cares. Um, yeah, nobody no, cares yeah. who's sleeping nobody with cares, who. You know, not fifteen anymore, so nobody cares. Yeah. Um. So, so yes, 
but then I understand that it was a moment in time and it was different. So, and I think it shaped me. Mm. It, I suppose there's an element of that, but I think, yes, if I'd, I, I suppose if I could move it forward and say, if I'd have been a teenager now, mm. um, yes, I would want it to be different. Um, but, I, but I suspect in, you know, in going back to your parents and we, I'm a big advocate for respecting the generation Absolutely. and what they know and that I mean I think previously and not so much now I think in previous generations there was a what will people think oh. not about just this subject but multiple subjects and as you said yeah. it's like mum came from a place of fear at some level whether that be what it means to be gay all of those things but you know I think we do need to respect the generations and the the education and the, or the lack of education that they had mm. i mean i remember tv programs that had gay it was a gay a gay black guy at the time and mm. he was completely mocked you know yeah. that he was he was the butt of the jokes in the program yeah. so you can that's how the thinking was um back <laughs> in the day i think but i think <clears> now <throat> i think we're fortunate enough that children have a vocabulary about these things because uh seven eight and nine they will probably know maybe older sexuality is a bit of an interesting one i think more and more young people are learning about sexuality much younger mm. uh, so they will have a deeper understanding and a, um, maybe notice earlier when mm. they feel different or so the people that they're not attracted to but you know like you said at age six you just sort of knew that you mm. were not with that rather than that um, and I think they can open up and communicate far better now. I think one of the things that's really important is leaving that space for them to be able to do that. And mm. that comes from the the rest of the environment. So as you said earlier, there wasn't any homophobia in your household. There wasn't an open language about um, the... Uh, being gay was bad but equally mm. there was something that stopped you from sharing that with them as mm. well and I think having being able to have those conversations with your children about well you know are you you know do you do you think you want to get married do you think you'll be want to be with a boy or a girl you know mm. and really giving that helping them to see that it it doesn't matter it does not yeah. matter what their sexuality is or their gender is it what matters is that you're my child and I love you yeah and I yeah I agree and I think um I was just thinking about a friend's child who uh he I mean he's probably a teenager now um when he was in junior school he liked to go to school in dresses and he liked to play with dolls and I think it's um it isn't because it's like anything isn't it you don't need to encourage behavior and and that's seen as a, a really negative thing but actually why can't you let a child play why can't you let someone just be you know what harm is it causing and I, th I think it's the same with the sexuality um that you know lots of young people now do seem to experiment more and you know certainly friends of mine that have got children you know, one week they're gay, one week they're bi, the next week they're asexual because they've had enough of everybody. But they're manoeuvring through it in quite actually what I feel is quite a, a natural way because mm. sexuality is actually a spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, it's not black and white. Um, 
and I think that they I think that yeah you you've just got you've got to allow children just to have a voice and it's it's one thing not promoting something and I suppose this is the difference now that actually when I was younger it wasn't promoted nor was it you know a negative commentary around it but I equally didn't have those figures visible to me whereas now young people have got visibility they've got access to material whether that's literature or music films whatever or information and so they build their own narrative around that Mm. themselves Mm. and there's a there's a strength in that isn't there there's it feels quite purposeful and from the core it doesn't feel that it needs to come from the other and so I think in terms of parents I think like you say just give space to it because the more you push something in the harder it pushes back doesn't it yeah and as you say I think young people are exploring and they bounce from one thing and another Mm. and again in our era um you're a tomboy Mm. or you know there were many many words for but you you were you know there 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 was literally probably a handful of terms for people at the time and I think for, for our generation, we were raised with things like Beauty and the Beast, Pretty Woman, like you said earlier, yeah, you know, yeah. um, of it's men and women and men have more power than women do and all of that <laughs> stuff. Mm. Um, and I think you're right. I think social media and TV is is really depicting stuff in a, a much, much better way. I was watching Downton Abbey Mm. recently and there was there's a gay guy in Downton Abbey and like this is early 1900s so this is mm. it's not like we've just appeared no, it's, <laughs> not you know? it's not new it's at not all, new actually. it's no. just had to be suppressed and people's yeah. sexuality have had to be suppressed and I think we've gone to a place now where it's sort of exploded a little bit isn't it and everybody's like right mm. I am really gonna have a look at this spectrum I want to mm. know where I belong on this spectrum and it's not just of this sexuality or that sexuality there's a whole plethora of of ways in which I can identify myself but I think I think the key here for parents is very much about I think sometimes we have to step back as a parent yeah step back and just observe because Mm. you know it's a bit like when children start to get partners and you sit there and you think oh I hope that's not going to be the one. <laughs> but if you dare to tell them, they'll, mm. they'll stick with that person. Whereas if you step back and let it play out, they will mm. find their way. And mm. I imagine, especially now with young people, their their sexuality, their gender, they will find their place. And they may jump around a bit in initially, but we jump mm. around with with new partners. You know, exactly. So I don't jump see, around yeah. with something like this. I don't I don't see the difference I just no. don't see the difference and I think for someone to explore their sexuality mm. in whatever that looks like as long as it's safe you know uh, as a teenager that's what straight kids did when we were younger yeah. they they did they you know and um if you know someone wants to see a girl for a bit and then they want to see a girl for a bit and then they decide that they are gay or that they're not then fine you know it's okay as long as they're safe surely that's the bottom line that they're safe and they're happy absolutely and I think that you said earlier I think there are a lot of people much older people my age and above that are still living a life that Mm. 
they're fulfilled in. It's not to say they're not fulfilled, but actually it's not where they were destined to be as a result of their sexuality, which I agree with you. I think it's neurological. We are born. We are mm. born. It's biological. We are born what we are <laughs> when Absolutely. it comes to um, sexuality. Yeah, and I think as well, I, I, it's not just it's not just the being gay or being asexual or being trans. It's it's the I suppose the the weight on your mental health, the yeah. effect on your mental health, and I think it's massive. Mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely massive because you know that sense that everybody's against you or that uh, people find you disgusting. Wow. Or um, people don't want to be near you or, um, you know, you're not what you're meant to be. It's very, very confusing. As an adult, it's hard. You know, it's a, as an adult, it's hard. Well, for any of us to watch any kind of hate, you know, and let's face it, we see it on the news quite a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, to watch anything that's hateful and hateful of, a, of the other mm-hmm. is really difficult to watch. But when you're a teenager... And you're having to experience that day in, day out. Mm. And you haven't got the support of the adults because they don't know or they don't agree. It's a lonely place. And I think yeah. it's if you really love that child, you'll support them because actually you want them to have a good life. And if they start off with high levels of anxiety at that age, yeah. self-harming, yeah. Yeah. suicidal ideation, you know, you're not setting them up to fail, but you're not you're not giving them a step up in life. No, no. Now your journey. Um, so you were talking about the LGBTQ plus um, training that you do, and you do that for Treetops Hospice, don't you? I do. Risley. Yeah. What an incredible charity that is. They've they've yeah, amazing work, but you've done an awful lot of work in places like the prison service. But then you embarked on becoming a counsellor. Mm-hmm. And now you are specialising in working with young people in bereavement. Yeah. But I think your your venture now is the Hidden Forest, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. can you tell me a little bit about the uh, trainings that you do and also about the Hidden Forest? Um, so I'm lucky enough to be um, to have been on the student scheme at Treetops Hospice. And uh, myself and another counsellor um, were asked to do some training around LGBTQ and the experience of the LGBTQ clients specifically within a hospice. Um, and so, and, and the counselling section of the hospice. So we've done that. We're doing it again this year. We've just been uh, rewriting parts of it. Um, and so whilst I've been retraining, I've thought a lot about, you know, the sorts of clients that I'd like to work with. And I particularly like working with children and young people. And I decided that my organisation, The Hidden Forest, would be bereavement and loss um, because I think they're you know they're important and global topics but the loss um, I identified as being LGBTQ because I think there is a loss when you're LGBTQ if that's how you identify um, in lots of ways you know whether it's loss of friendships loss of relationships within the family lost time because there was a time that you were hiding um, lost opportunities um all all sorts of losses and and a massive loss of self you know that uh, that journey of identifying and becoming um so that's a part of it alongside disability and illness and so the work that i'm doing is 
an element of group and one-to-one so uh doing group work with young children and into sort of uh teens early teens so seven to 21 year olds that have experienced bereavement and loss across parts of derbyshire um and the group is a seven-week program where they come along and they can use um forest style uh, school activities where we explore feelings and narrative around experience um, and then I'm also offering one-to-one uh, play therapy so I think for me it's the play feels important because I think we have such gendered play we're so socialized mm. to have gendered play so I think the opportunity you know even as an adult to go and have non-gendered yeah. play feels really important and part of a journey to I suppose true self so Yeah, and I think I've identified through, I suppose, my own experience and seeing others and friendships and all sorts that, you know, it's such an important time in your life between seven and 21. And if you experience bereavement, it can be bad enough. But if you've got added extras, if you are gay or you are trans or whatever your experience is, and maybe the person that believed in you, the person that supported you died, Mm. you know what what then happens how does that affect self so I think we're just allowing space for children and young people to come in yeah talk about it meet other people that you know perhaps fit with that narrative um and provide that support for them to build resilience because yeah. that's actually ultimately what they need you know I think it's important for parents to give space but to have understanding and acknowledge their fears but I think for the children, they probably work through that bit on their own. Yeah. And yeah. what they need to build is the resilience because, you know, even now, I'd say as a gay female in her mid-40s, I still have to have some resilience. Yeah. Because I'm still coming across things. Not yeah. daily. I wouldn't say it is daily now, but, you know, I'd say once a week still yeah. where perhaps, you know, I need to be aware of who I am or what situation I'm in. Yeah. Would um, you say that... um because it sounds like your groups are for LGBT children, is that right? They are for children. Um, I am having a corporate uh, strand to this as well, where I will work with adults, but that will be a completely separate entity. Okay. Um, so I suppose it depends how I can develop alongside other organisations. Yeah. Um, if I find the need, if I find the people that want to do it, I will run yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but I think I see... I can see within school settings, universities, colleges yeah. that that the need is there and, you know, a platform for these children to have space and actually talk openly is really important. Yeah. And I can provide that. So that, yeah. that feels a key and, thing. And I suspect even in today's generation, there's going to be a cohort of parents that really do struggle with the concept that their child may not be heterosexual. And I think it's really important for that parent to to really just own that and and get some support for that because that's something if they feel that, that that's a challenge for them they're going to struggle to support their child so as soon as they can identify that uh, I would say I mean, I'm guessing you would agree with me on that that for the parent to get that support is really really important because sometimes we just need to reframe something you know Absolutely. we may have strong beliefs about something and we don't actually know where that beliefs come from it's come from yeah. well usually it's come from our own childhoods but sometimes we can very quickly flip and reframe that 
and yep. see it yep. from a different angle. And that's all we need is to be able to see it from a different angle. And I suspect the sooner a parent identifies that they're struggling with something or something feels really uncomfortable with them about their child's sexuality, and the sooner they get that support, the better the child will be as well. Yeah, I think so. I think if, if a parent can acknowledge the feelings yeah. that they've got around the child being gay, that's going to be the first port of call, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And and it's very difficult for us to reframe on our own. It's often easier. Yeah. Obviously, with a therapist, that's always going to be quite handy, isn't it? Um, but for someone else to reframe it for us, to, yeah. to offer us that viewpoint from another angle. And yeah, I think if, if the parent can sit in... I suppose a place of stability mm. that's what the child is going to need because the child is weaving in and out of something that they don't really know what it is and they are a child yeah, yeah. and you know, they're growing up they've got all those things going on we as adults I would hope most of us understand the world around us mm. the extent that we can do mm. the child doesn't the child is still in that group of learning and you know mm. their brain isn't fully formed all, all of those aspects and I think mm. So the, the parents does need to provide stability. Yeah. At a time that's wonky for them, you know, it's, Absolutely it, wonky. it's a very difficult path. But I think if you know you're a gay woman or a gay man, mm. in a way that sort of simplifies things. But yeah, if, absolutely. Yeah. if you start throwing the questionings about gender and, you know, all all that comes with that, I'd imagine for a child that's really confusing because they can't quite pinpoint where they land at this point. So being able to give them space and support whilst they're navigating <laughs> that landscape is really important. I think so. I, and I think it's like anything, isn't it? There will be the children that come out and say, you know, I'm gay or I'm lesbian or I'm bisexual and be absolutely adamant and firm that that's what they are and they're not shifting and they don't care what other people say, or externally that might be yeah. what you're saying. And they have enough resilience that they can power through and mm. still become. Mm. There are children, probably like me, that will go, yeah, I think I am, but I'm, I'm really frightened. Mm. And it, so, you know, you're still looking, you're looking for someone to be stable for you yeah. or something to hold on to. And I think, yeah, gender, you know, unfortunately, you know, again, gender, it's not, this isn't a new topic, is it? This is an mm. old topic. Mm. But gender has almost replaced the LGB, hasn't it? Mm. And unfortunately for children, and, you know, I know that there's some politics swinging around at the moment about discussions around gender in schools and what children, what will be and what won't and who will be told. And it's very difficult because it's confusing enough for the child. And I think that by blocking something and saying, no, you're not, causes more confusion. Because if the child's internal world is female, mm. but, you know, they are physically male, mm. that's very confusing. So Absolutely. it's about supporting, isn't it? And yeah. yeah. And again, it's, I think all of it is supporting, you know, creating space for them just to be and feel. You know, none of us, let's face it, none of us are that great and it's certainly not in our education, you know, emotional vocab. You know, how do we go about improving that? How do we go about supporting that with a child? How do we give them the tool yeah. to be able to explore and explain how they're feeling? 
Yeah, but often, as you said, a lot of adults don't truly understand how they feel. No. They believe that they do, but they don't truly understand how they feel. And that's that's a real tricky point, because if we don't understand how we feel as adults, how can we respond to our children in a way that is helpful and supportive? Mm -hmm. You know, I've got two children. I've had times when my son has come to me and brought something to the table that has absolutely made me shudder of the sort mm. of him doing this thing or want, wanting to embark on this. And I really had to take a breath and look inward and go, what is that? And it comes yes. from fear. It mm. comes from fear of, I don't know what that thing is. So how can I possibly give my child permission to go and do this thing that I have no idea of what the risks are. Mm. But then I made it my business to find out. I yeah. made it my business to find out what is that thing that he wants to do that scares me so much. And interestingly, as soon as I would learn to find out more about that thing, I wasn't so scared because I understood it. Yeah. I got it. And then he was able to do that thing. So and I think it's the same thing about education around sexuality, isn't it? If your child mm -hmm. is bringing this to the table and saying, uh, something's going on here. I'm not quite mm -hmm. sure what it is. Make it your business to find out so that you're ahead of the curve, really. You're, mm -hmm. You can then therefore support them on that journey rather than be fearful of where they're going on their own. Yeah, and I think there are some great organisations out there now. Um, you know, certainly in Derbyshire, we've got Derbyshire Friends. Yeah. And, and, you know, it isn't that, you know, like it used to be where you go, you pop in and you pick a pick list and everything's answered. It, you know, it isn't like that, but... You know, they have support groups, they have support groups for parents, for children, for families. And there are genuinely people out there that will sit and listen. And, you know, you might not be looking for advice. You might be looking for advice. You know, the people are out there now. Yeah. You know, I think the the awareness is there. The awareness isn't going to go away. It's not going to disappear. No. And the support networks are there. You've still got to find them, but yeah. they are there. Yeah, and I think, and, and one of the things that you know that I advocate is the parent-child relationship and the bond. Yeah, and, you know, we, you and I can look back on our own childhoods and go, our parents had a book and their own experience. Yeah. Um, in twenty years' time, children aren't going to be able to look back at us and go, "Well, they had a book and they had their own experience," because there's so much there available mm -hmm. for us. And I suppose in this episode of the podcast, I really want to fully advocate that if you are scared and you don't know, then find out because there are so yeah. many people. You can call Sal. Sal will help. Cool, Sal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, we can find out. Of, yeah, there are loads of helplines. And, um, you know, for nearly every area, there'll be an LGBTQ hub. Um, of some sort, some description, whether it's a charity, it sits within a statutory service yeah. or CIC or an informal group. There are people out there that will support. And I think even considering our intersectionality and so crossing almost those borders, if you like, and looking back into religion, you know, if the issue is around religion, I'm sure there are people within uh, your religious group that would support that you know there are people across the board aren't there mm, absolutely so, from different other minority groups that will sit with it yeah. and say yeah this is what it looks like with this group yeah absolutely and I think the key here is that children young people adults 
are still able to feel that they're a part of their pack, even though yeah. there is a difference. We're all different. We're all unique. But we, yeah. have, we have this idea that if somebody behaves or does or is a certain way, then they don't quite fit within the pack. And mm. although we don't say that, we don't say that, but we can see that across society when people make shifts and changes. And none mm. of us want to be absent from our pack. We're, you know, no. we all, we're all, we're all geared to be part of our nuclear family. And mm. so, I suppose it's just leaving that space open, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you, Sal. So, Sal, no, thank, you. thank you so much. I've got one question for you. So. What is one piece of advice you wish your parents had had when you were a child? Um, I think it would be something around fear. So I, I think probably just don't be afraid. I th I really think it's that mm. because there isn't really anything to be afraid of. No, absolutely. Your child will grow and be yeah. the person that he or she or they are. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Thank you. You've been an absolute star. Thanks, Sal. Thank you. I would like to say a big thank you to Sal for joining me on the show today. I think as a society, we have a long way to go to support our LGBTQ plus community. But I think it's fair to say that we're heading in the right direction. And I hope that nobody has to go through the challenges that our gay community faced in decades gone by ever again. If you're a parent who are either struggling with your child's sexuality or maybe supporting them th through their journey, then please reach out for support. Bye for now. Thank you for joining me on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you know anybody that may enjoy listening to this podcast, please like and share it. And also feel free to leave me a review. Also, if there are any topics that you would like me to cover in the future episodes, then drop me a message and I'll be sure to make it happen. For more hints and tips on your parenting journey, please follow me on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. And I look forward to speaking with you soon. Bye for now. Thank you.